Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Revit, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, we will look at one of Jesus' most familiar parables and think about how we can help others as John shares his message entitled, The Good Samaritan. If you have your Bible, please open it to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 10. That's where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 10. I can't think of a better passage of Scripture in all the Bible that talks about the importance of helping people any more than the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is a story that Jesus told, and it really makes the point. So let's begin Luke chapter 10 and in verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer, that is an expert in the Jewish law, this was a Jewish man, he stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Now this man was a, was a lawyer, and so what he was really saying here is, what are the laws that I have to keep so that one day I can go to heaven? What must I do? I don't want to miss out on heaven. And so that was his question. And so Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, <clears throat> with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. What Jesus was saying to this, this legalist. He was saying, if you want to go to heaven by keeping the law, here's the deal. Keep all of it and keep it perfectly. I heard a pastor say something one time, and when he said it, I said, that man's wrong. But the more I thought about it, I thought, no, he's right. The pastor said this. He said, there are three ways to go to heaven. I thought, three ways? There's only one way, Jesus. He said, there are three ways to go to heaven. He said, way number one, die before you reach the age of accountability. God doesn't hold a child responsible when they don't know the difference in right and wrong and they don't know anything about God, so that's one way to go to heaven. Another way to go to heaven is to live a perfect life. I mean, you know, uh, and, and yet none of us here today, or at least most of us here today, are far past the age of accountability, and I think we would all admit that we have not lived a perfect life. And so the third way, and really practically the only way for us to get to heaven at this point is to confess our sins and ask Jesus to save us. Now, when Jesus said to this man, if you want to go to heaven by keeping the law, you got to love God perfectly, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, had I been this man and Jesus said that to me, I would have said, now, wait a second, Lord, we've already got a problem. You know that I love you, but sometimes I'm guilty of loving other things maybe more than you, and I get my priorities out of line, and it's like I have an idol, as it were. And so, Lord, I don't love you perfectly. And as far as loving my, loving my neighbor as myself, I do love my, I love my neighbor. I love my friends. But, God, I've got to be honest. Sometimes I hold a grudge. Sometimes I have a bitter spirit. Sometimes I get angry. And so, Lord, you're telling me that the way for me to go to heaven is to love you perfectly and love people perfectly. And I've got to confess to you I've done neither. And so I'm asking you to give me mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that's the response that Jesus was hoping to elicit from this man. But that's not the response that he got. This man was a legalist, and he wanted to justify himself. In fact, looking in verse 29, we see that clearly. But he, wanting to justify himself... 
said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is a legalist. He's saying, if I've got to love my neighbor, I'll do that, but tell me who he is because I don't want to love anybody I don't have to. And so in verse 30, Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. This is a religious leader. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. This is another religious leader. When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. And so the religious people did the man absolutely no good. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages. You think about what you make in two days, well, that's what this man spent, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, we're thinking on these five Sundays about why we're here as a church. Why has God placed the church in the world? Why in our community, with all the schools and all the businesses and all the restaurants, why has God placed our church here on the corner of Fairmont and Red Bluff? Well, we just said the answer to that, to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Now, what we're doing today, we're thinking about the people that we're trying to reach. What are these people like? There are thousands of people around us today. Some of them are just waking up. Some of them are uh, they've been up for a while, but they're not in church, and many of them don't know the Lord, and we're here to help them to know Christ. You students, you're in school with friends who don't go to church and who don't know the Lord, and so today we're trying to think about well, what's it like being them? What's it like being unsaved? What's it like not having a relationship with God? Well, the man in this parable gives us a beautiful picture of what it's like to be without God. Notice as we think about this man, notice first of all, he was alone. Look back in verse 30. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Notice Jesus didn't say certain men or a certain man and his family or a certain man and his friends or a certain group of men. No, he just said a certain man. This man was all alone. Now, let's think for just a moment about what it's like to be alone. Let's think about being alone. The first thing I would say about being alone is being alone is, is not all bad. And in fact, being alone is sometimes good. We need to be alone sometimes. I feel sorry for a person who can't ever be alone. They have to always have people and chatter and noise. I feel sorry for that person because we need to be alone in our Bible reading. We need to be alone in our prayer time. We need to have times alone for meditation and thinking and to refresh ourselves and to renew our mind and to hear from God. And so being alone is is a good thing sometimes. But God never intended for us to be alone 
all the time. In Genesis 2, God said it's not good that the man should be alone. And yet many people are alone. These thousands of people around us, we say we want to have 15,000, 10% of our community and our church on Sunday. We've got a long way to go, but God's leading us in the right direction. What is it about these people that we need to understand? We need to understand that they are alone. If you think about this, there is a sense in which unsaved people are always alone, even if they're with other people, because they have this hole in their heart that only God can feel, and they're going to feel lonely until Jesus fills that hole. And there is a sense in which those of us who are saved, we're never alone because we always have Jesus. And yet, even those of us who are saved, we need the companionship. We need to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing worse than being alone. Billy Graham used to say, the biggest problem in the world today to the over 200 countries he preached in and all the millions of, or 185 countries and over 200 million he preached to, he said, the biggest problem today is loneliness. People feel alone. And maybe today, even in this beautiful room, Here you are. Maybe you're alone today. Maybe you're with your family or friends. But either way, you feel alone and you feel disconnected. You feel isolated. And you feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm facing. Nobody knows that I'm depressed. Nobody knows that this smile is not always genuine and real. I just put my best foot forward. And some in this room today undoubtedly would say, I feel very alone. The psalmist felt that way. Look at this, Psalm 102. The psalmist said, I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. Do you ever feel like that, an owl up there on that tree? I'm like, alone. Some of you today feel that way. You say, I am like an owl of the desert, and nobody gives a hoot about me, right? You just feel alone. And then notice what he says. I lie awake, and I'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop. The psalmist is saying, man, I'm in a tough spot in my life. I just feel alone. The message of the church to our community is you don't have to be alone. You can receive Jesus Christ. You'll never be alone again. And when you receive him, you receive a body of brothers and sisters so that you never have to be alone. That's the importance of the church. Look what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 4 as he's comparing being by yourself to having somebody with you. He said two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And then he says this, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here, that the third person in that court is Jesus. Many times at a wedding, we say that. We say, the two of you are coming together. You're forming a bond. Two are better than one. This is a good thing. And since you're both Christians, it's even a better thing because you have Jesus. And he is the third part, the first part actually, but in this analogy, he's the third part of the cord. And so this is a beautiful thing. Two are better than one. It's not good to be alone. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, this shows us how the church fits in with this. Notice what it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now let's just, just think of that phrase. Say, just read that. Not forsaking, say it out loud the assembling of ourselves together. Some translations say not neglecting. Here it says not forsaking. Many people have forsaken going to church on Sundays. 
Some people haven't forsaken it. They just neglect it. Some weeks they do, and some weeks they don't. Some people that are not saved, they've never had the experience. He says, as is the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so the point I'm trying to make is this man was alone. And because he was alone, he got out there and he got in trouble. And many times in life, people feel alone, and if they're not saved, they're doubly alone. And so we need to understand that. We're not just trying to connect them with us. We're trying to connect them first and foremost to Jesus. So they'll never be alone, but then to us so that we can be together and we can do life together and go through life together. Now, a second thing about this man, not only was he alone, but he was wounded. And as we think about the people we're trying to reach, many of them are wounded in life. In fact, all of us in life have been wounded at one time or another. Notice again in verse 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, what was so dangerous about being alone and the reason this man got wounded it said, we read in our Bible, he traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't think much about that. But here's what we need to realize. That was a 17-mile journey, and it was a 17-mile journey going down, down, down. You, you, you were just getting lower and lower. In fact, within these 17 miles, the terrain dropped approximately 3,300 feet. And so it was a very steep mountain that he was going down. And since it was so steep, the road couldn't just be straight down or you couldn't climb up it. Or you couldn't go down it. You would fall. It'd be like the Grand Canyon. You know, I remember one time I was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And I looked up at the top of that thing and I thought, Lord, I wish there was an escalator or something to get me out of here. Well, the reason there's not an escalator, it would be too steep. And so you have these switchback trails all, on, all through the Grand Canyon to get you out. Well, same thing here. You're going 17 miles and you're dropping 3,300 feet. And so you had all these trails going back and forth. Now, the problem with that These trails many times would create crevices and there would be dark spots in the mountain and it was known for thieves were known to hang out. And if they saw a person alone, here two or three or four thieves, they knew they had them outnumbered. And so this man's going down and he's in a very, very dangerous place. And so we're trying to help people who are wounded. And as I just said, all of us in one way or another have been wounded in life. Many times we're wounded. We're wounded by others. Sometimes we're wounded by life itself. Maybe a a disease. Maybe a disappointment. uh, maybe Maybe death. What I'm saying is all these people around us, and many of them don't know the Lord, and here we are, and we're thinking, well, how can we reach them? The first thing is we have to get in their mind and understand them. Many of them are alone today. They're feeling lonely, and they are wounded today, and they're trying to do everything they can to salve that wound and, as it were, to almost heal themselves. But there'll be many people today, and they're watching it right now. They're watching the the pregame show to the games. They're watching it right now. But they'll watch that, and many of them that are watching it, truth be known, they're just watching the games, and they're with their friends, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to get their mind on something other than the reality of their lives. And for them, sports has become some kind of an escapism. And what are they doing? They're trying to heal and to fix their own wounds. But the Scripture says in Psalm 147 in verse 3 that God 
heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. See, that's the advantage of being saved. They ha- unsaved have wounds. We have wounds. But we have someone to help us to bind our wounds. You remember the, when we were kids, we learned the little poem, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You know, there are a lot of people in life who have fallen off the wall. And they've called on the king's horses. And they've called on the king's men. And the king's horses and the king's men couldn't put them back together again. The message of the church, the message of the Bible, and the message that we must say to this community is, listen, when you're wounded in life by others, wounded by circumstances, wounded by life itself, wounded in any way, the king's men may not be able to put you together again. The king's horses may not be able to put you back together again. But the king of heaven can put you back together again. He binds up those wounds, and he heals the brokenhearted. And so... We have something to offer to those who've been wounded. We have healing to offer. Jesus, among everything else he is, is a healer. He came so that we could be healed of our wounds. But this man in the story, he was alone. He was wounded. And then the third thing I noticed, he couldn't get where he needed to be without some assistance. He needed some help. Man, he was half dead, Jesus said. He couldn't get up and walk and make it down to Jericho. And so this Samaritan came by. And this Samaritan had a first aid kit, undoubtedly, over his shoulder. And he got down on his knees, and he got the stuff out of his kit. And he put the wine on there, somewhat as, a, as an antiseptic. And he put the oil on there, somewhat as a, to, to provide a little healing for that wound. And he took this beaten man, this wounded man, this alone man, man who was alone, and he put him on his animal. Maybe he had a horse or a donkey, not sure what his animal. He put him on his animal, probably a donkey. And then he led that donkey with that man on top of him. They went down to the city, and they found a, a, a village. They found an inn. And the Samaritan took that man and said to the innkeeper, listen, this man needs a room. Look at him. He's in bad shape. He needs some rest. And so uh, he put him in a room, and the Samaritan stayed with him one night. And the next day, the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, I've got to go in to work But if you'll please watch after this man, here's the money for two days, and if you need any more money when I come back, I'll take care of it. Now, the interesting thing about that is that Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story. Now, remember who Jesus was talking to. Jesus was talking to a Jewish man steeped in the law. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Why? Because the Samaritans were a group of people who had been born out of the Jews coming together with foreigners, probably the Assyrians, and so they came together, and their offspring were known as the Samaritans, and so the Jewish people looked at that and said, these are not pure Jews. These are half-Jews. They're unclean. They're not like us. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans so badly that when the Jewish people traveled from northern Israel to southern Israel or from the south back up, they bypassed Samaria. The three main regions there in Israel, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. But the devoted Jew would not go through Samaria. And so in John chapter 4, we read that Jesus one day was traveling from down south in Judea up to Galilee, and the Scripture says Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And he went right through what they considered the defiled country. And he met the woman at the well. And he led her to faith in him. And her life was changed. But the point I'm making here is that Jesus made a Samaritan 
who was hated by the Jews, the hero of the story. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying to this Jewish man, you and the other Jews may hate the Samaritans, but you need to understand that I love the Samaritans. I love the Samaritans. I love the Samaritans, in fact, as much as I love you. And that's what Jesus was saying. In fact, in the New Testament, we read that on one occasion, Jesus rebuked his disciples for wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans and have them killed. On another occasion, he healed a Samaritan leper. On another occasion, as I said, he met the Samaritan woman at the well. And on another time, he preached. Jesus preached to the Samaritans. And the Jews think, what are you preaching to the Samaritans? They're not worthy of this. They're... They're not pure like we're pure, and yet Jesus loved the Samaritans. In fact, it's interesting to me that the last words Jesus spoke before he went back to heaven mentions the word Samaria, the part that the Jews could not stand, the people they couldn't stand. Acts 1.8, it's a familiar verse. Notice what Jesus said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria And to the end of the earth, the last region, the last area that Jesus mentioned by name. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he ascends to heaven. Verse 8, these are his last words. And the last area that he mentions by name, he said Samaria. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, I love the Samaritan people. I want you to just read this to you. I wrote this in my note. God loves all people. Now, I know we know that. But I want to say that today as clearly as I can. God loves all people, people from all backgrounds, all colors. What's the song we learned when we were kids? Red and yellow, black and white. They are what? They're precious in His sight. And so God loves us no matter the color of our skin, the black, the white, got rich or poor, doesn't matter. Educated or uneducated, God loves, God loves, it doesn't make any difference to God. Democrat, Republican, doesn't make any difference. God, we, we put all these labels on people. And we have all these divisive things we put on people. And we say, well, you know, God loves people who are like me. Let me tell you something. God loves people who are like you, and God loves people who are unlike you. And God loves people who don't like you, and God loves people you don't like. And that's what Jesus was saying to these, uh, to this, to this Jewish man who was a lawyer. It's not with God. It's not about race. It's about grace. And so in our minds, you know, in, in Romans chapter 4, it said that it says that we have to, to see things before they happen. We almost have to, 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 with our eyes of faith, seeing things. One pastor said that trusting God means looking beyond what we can see to what God sees. Listen, today in heaven, I'll tell you what it is. It's people with every skin color, from every tribe, from every background, and today they're gathered around the throne of God in heaven, and they're singing praises to Him. What should the church be? The church should be a microcosm of heaven on earth. The church should be on earth what heaven looks like now. We should see in our church people from all backgrounds, Asian background, Hispanic background, Anglo background, black background, uh, African background, and all these backgrounds. We have to see that in our minds and pray that God will bring it to pass. But it begins by us understanding that we're here to not only help people Lonely, wounded, and can't get where they need to be. We're here to help all people. God loves people who don't love Him back. There are some people whose idea of God and whose idea of church is, don't tell me anything that will rub me the wrong way. 
Don't deal with any sin that I'm struggling with. God loves me and none of that matters. Their idea is this. Their idea is come as you are and leave as you were. Leave completely unchanged. Friend, that is not the message of the Bible. God loves us as we are, but God loves us too much to keep us that way and let us stay that way. God says to us, Jesus says to us, come to me just like you are and let me turn you into the person that I want you to be. And yet some people, they don't believe that. They don't think like that. They have abused the love of God. God loves people, but he loves us all too much to let us stay like we are. As we think about reaching our community, our message to the community is, and my message and God's message to you today is, you don't have to be alone. God can heal you of your wounds. And if you will come to Jesus Christ just like you are, He will save you. He will forgive you. He will begin the process of changing you. And one of these days, Jesus and flights of angels will take you to your heavenly home where you'll be with Him forever and forever and forever. Amen. Are you ready to come to Jesus just as you are? If so, we would love to help you begin a personal relationship with Christ. Please send an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.